This is the Packer and Durham Podcast, Hour 3. Packer and Durham, Power Hour is upon us as we come to you live from the basement. Still trying to figure out that pole vault, aren't you? Huh? Huh? Doesn't even Had make an accomplished sense. student athlete, Gabrielle Leon, joined us from Louisville. Two-time indoor All-America in the pole vault. You're still wondering. Have you ever been to a professional track and field event? A professional? Yes. No. I have. In fact, like ironically, in Europe or something? I, went, or? I saw one in Car- Caracas. I was in Caracas, Venezuela for the Pan Am Games. I was in college at Clemson and uh, did for CBS Sports. And they assigned me to track and field, which I knew nothing about. Still don't. And um, Wait, wait, hold on. You went to the Pan Am Games in Venezuela. Right, Caracas, For Venezuela. CBS. CBS. As a production guy? Yeah. Uh-huh. And you got assigned to track and field. Track and field. Craig Silver. Does that name ring a bell? Wow. Craig Silver. Look at the, that. The guy that hired me. See this, Craig? This is my credential. <laughs> yes, that's my credential. <laughs> I figured Craig Silver would ring a bell. Yeah, you. Craig Silver's big time now. Big time. Big time. So we go to a track and field event. And, of course, in Caracas, I mean, you get off the plane, they, the people with machine guns. I mean, it's dangerous. You either have a trillion dollars or you don't have two cents. It's an incredibly beautiful country, but Caracas. So – the track and field event is out in the middle of nowhere, as you can well imagine. Shocking. And they've got armed guards. I mean, you had to be really careful. But nevertheless, it's the first time I ever was near world-class track and field athletes. Okay. And, and I remember watching the pole vault 40 years ago at the Pan Am Games. And I was just in amazement watching them practice going, it's like it's probably like the first time anybody saw uh, Orville and Wilbur Wright take off. And you went, well, how's that going to work? I, at, every time I see people pole vault, I'm just amazed it works. I mean, how do you do that? And when you pick up a pole and you go, I'm going to run with it. It's pretty heavy. Oh, if trying to run with it is a skill. Mm-hmm. Forget about plant, take off, whew, slingshot. Well, doesn't make we, any ran sense. The, we ran that bump video coming back before the interview from the uh, All Access show, right? And you saw all the different things she oh. did to get ready to then practice. Do you think Gabby's core is pretty good? The pistol squats, all the things that she did. Unbelievable. The, how about the things she slid along the floor to simulate the release of the pole? Well, I could do that. I, I mean, I got that. It's like putting uh, wheels on a moon pod. I, I think I could push off the wall. But the, the stuff that she's doing on the rope, like she's doing uh, Circus Olay. I mean, your core has just got to be unbeatable. Leaveable to do. It's all something to aspire to at our age. I'm not going to do that. I'm just telling you, I'd, I'd, I'd really hurt myself doing the pole vault. That'd be a disaster. Nobody's asking you to do it now, anytime. But when you see professionals do it, I mean, people. How was it in Venezuela up close? Is it awesome? That's what I'm saying. That's the first time I was ever in awe watching it, and you're like, holy mackerel. Well, the one time I saw it collegiantly. I couldn't believe it. And they and let me tell you something. They fly down that flying. line and they put the pole down and then do this. <laughs> and when they do, it's like there is a window now. I mean, if you ever stand at the end of the runway on the pole vault, the the pit or whatever the thing is the yeah, pole's got to go to, yeah, you gotta it aim. can slide around. Now, that's why you gotta run straight because it's got a hit. But if you noticed, like even in the one she did, and I saw somebody do this a few years ago, 
They put it on the ground and let it slide to the end to then boost themselves. There's some technique involved in that. Makes no sense to me how it works, but it's awesome in person. I'm telling you, it's you talking about appreciation for athleticism. It's incredible. It's like the guy we had on from Florida State run the hurdles, counting the steps. Yeah. I still have that bet with him. I could eat two donuts by the time he eats. uh, It goes 60 meters, 7.43 seconds. No, you're not getting it done. He'd run faster than that. All right. Uh, I have a true respect for the track and field out. I'm going to tell you, the athleticism in track and field yeah. is so phenomenal. Yep. That you, it's like watching a NASCAR race. Yeah. When everybody's going 195 miles an hour, you're like, oh, man, I could drive one of those things. Yeah, then you go watch one once. You go, holy mackerel, you got to be kidding me. Speaking of athletes, Roddy Jones in moments. Was that supposed to be a joke? No, it's true, athlete. That's your buddy. Still an athlete, yep. Uh, we got Kentucky, Louisville, and uh, baseball. Five o'clock today on ACC. Good old fashioned those. Those yeah, two little bluegrass the stuff. That's right? another Commonwealth that doesn't care for each other. And West Virginia and Pitt were supposed to play, and then the rains came, so they won't play today. Playing they tomorrow. Were, yeah, playing tomorrow. But we get these rivalries. We had Georgia Tech and Georgia a little bit earlier this year. We've had South Carolina, Clemson. We get the conference stuff, and the conference stuff has germinated a lot of conversation because we talked about earlier in the last hour. Virginia and Virginia Tech, and boy, you brought the folks from social media out with you when you did that, because we talked about how Virginia, and all of a sudden, you know, I got the got the tweet here from uh, Daniel Williams, Governor Mark Warner, put all this in play. <laughs> the Hokies and the Cavaliers, the detente that put Virginia Tech in the ACC. Well, I, I thought that's why I brought it up because people have to understand how did Virginia Tech get in the league? They were the those... Attorney General, Commonwealth Attorney, wasn't he? Was he? He was he the governor? Go ahead. I'm not. I think that's accurate. Yeah, Mark Warner was the governor. There was another guy that was involved in the process. Castine. That was the president right. at uh, Virginia, Virginia. John Castine. But that's what got it started. I mean, there there was a lot, and I just remember all the po- politics at play with the whole Virginia Virginia Tech. Now the rivalries. Now, when you get stuff like that involved, oh yeah, that's when it goes next level. Yeah, it's it gets personal. And you know, here's the funny thing too, and we've touched on this a little bit this spring. We've had rivalries, Kentucky and Louisville in basketball. Legit. But they had to be brought back to the table by John Y. Brown, didn't they? That's exactly right. Uh, the you, governor of Kentucky. Uh, you know, we were asked a question yesterday, knowing that these were the topics of the day. And, and the, when I think of Kentucky and Louisville, mm-hmm. um, number one, it's basketball. No mm-hmm. disrespect to baseball, football, or anything else. Sure. I think Kentucky and Louisville basketball, it is a great, not good, great basketball state. Uh, Kentucky's fan base is ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Uh, Louisville's fan base. I keep telling you how important it is to the league that they're good. Yep. But I go back to 1983 when they were going to meet in the mid uh, mid East regional, right? And keep in mind now when they played, this was their first meeting in 24 years, yeah. and it was in the NCAA tournament. And it had been 61 years since they had met and had a meeting in the regular season. So this was a big deal in Knoxville, Tennessee. Ooh, Billy Thompson, Camden, New Jersey. That's it. And Denny Crum. And I mean, so it was a big deal that they were going to get together, right? And they called the dream game. Finally, we're going to get oh, yeah. Kentucky and Louisville together and so forth. So the game and John goes, Y. Warren, the two cone code. Right. The two, that's exactly right. Yeah. And the game ended up going in overtime, and then Louisville pulled away and, and wins the game in overtime. It goes to the final four. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that was the game that, for me, even as I was in, 
in college. And yeah. there was such a buildup of, man, you know, has Kentucky been dodging these guys forever? Mm-hmm. Louisville wanted a piece of Remember what happened in 1980. So Louisville's program had started to roll. And, of course, Kentucky, their great tradition in history. And here they had to hook up. And, uh, in fact, I remember Louisville had to win a game. I think it was against Arkansas to get to the game to play Kentucky. They had won the right. last second play. And so next thing you know, they got a chance to hook up and play. And it was an epic, classic game that goes to overtime and Louisville ends up winning it. That's the one that, that comes to mind for me. By the way, there were some players on that film. Oh. We, we roll that back one more time. Oh. I saw Dinner Bell Mel on there. Mel Turpin. Minifield. Dirk Minifield. Yeah. Oh, look at this. There's Jim LeMaster at the yeah. foul line for Kentucky. That's Lancaster Flash Gordon. Yeah, you talk about a There's tough the McCray ticket. There's the brothers. You talk about a tough ticket now in oh, Knoxville. Yeah. Oh, that's Charles Jones from Scuba, Mississippi, coming along the baseline, 33. Yeah, this was a big deal, this game. Dude, that's that's Milt Wagner right there. His grandson, apparently, who knew, is one of Kenny Payne's recruiting targets. exactly right. But that's the game, when I think of Kentucky and Louisville, that, for me, that's the one that pops. That's the one that you circled. You went, man, they finally had a chance to hook up, and it was some kind of game. How about the Stokely Athletic Center in Knoxville being the site of an NCAA regional? How about a tough ticket? You oh, think that yeah. was a tough ticket? Holy I, mackerel. It was like when uh, – remember when Carolina – and we talked about the Black Sunday in 79, but there were a variety of NCAA regionals like at Reynolds Coliseum in, Green, in Raleigh, right? Remember those? In yeah. like 82, Carolina played uh, Alabama. CM Newton had this team with Bobby Lee Hurt and all these cats on that team. And um, – Carolina had to play them at Reynolds Coliseum. That thing was to the roof. But, you know, the, the key and the reason I bring that game up is the, the one for me, after that game was played, mm-hmm. John Y. Brown said, you know what? We're, we're, gonna, we're renewing this series. Yeah. And the rest is history. It is one of the best rivalries in all of college basketball. It took the question. government, Mark. The governor. Get it involved. If the governor can't get it done, it's not going to get done. Yeah. It's like property taxes in Mecklenburg County. Okay. When we come back. Well, it's been a while, hasn't it, for Roddy Jones? This is 30th appearance coming it's up. been a while. Three uh, don't forget, lacrosse doubleheader coming your way. Speaking of Roddy Jones, America's lacrosse fanboy. We start with Carolina Notre Dame at 6 o'clock from South Bend. We're going to finish with Jenny Levy and number one North Carolina. And number five, Duke, 8 o'clock from Chapel Hill. Thursday night right here on ACC Network, streaming live on the ESPN app. When we come back, we'll talk spring football. Roddy's headed to Charlottesville. We got to look at the Deacons last weekend. We'll check in on his thoughts with ACC spring football next on Packer and Durham. This is the Packer and Durham podcast. Spring football is Saturday afternoon, four o'clock, Scott Stadium in Charlottesville. Roddy Jones, Kelsey Riggs, Wesley Durham for Tony Elliott's debut on the grass with his Virginia Cavaliers right here on ACC Network streaming live on the ESPN app. By the way, of note for you, Pac, they are going to play a full game. We're going to start at 4 o'clock. If the game continues past the two-hour window we have for the spring football game, Flip over to the app. You'll be able to see the remainder of the game. But at 6 o'clock, we're going to move on to another event in a busy Saturday of 
ACC spring sports. What do we, we got? We have lacrosse in front. We have the spring game, which is a two-hour window. Then we move to, I think, baseball Saturday night. So if you're a Virginia fan, you want to get caught up on them. The game starts at 4. Roddy and I can confirm that when it ends, the two-hour window on ACC Network at 6 o'clock, you then go over to the app. You can see the remainder of the game. It's going to last pretty much the length of a game, three hours, three and change. Are you going to stay? Do the rest of the game? Oh, you yeah. Oh, leaving? we're going to be in there. Are you leaving when your 6 no, no. o'clock allotment's up? No, no, no. We're in there. You got to turn in your suit? No, we're in there. Kelsey's committed. Roddy signed up. I've signed up. Let's go to, shall we, suburban Atlanta. Let's do it. Please welcome America's lacrosse fanboy. Oh, what is the hat? Look at the hat. ACC Today what? has a hat. They got a hat now. They oh, have yeah. shirts. Yeah, now they got, got hats. Hat. There we yeah. go. Yeah, of course. You got the ACC Today hat. We got to get the slide going on. You know, we got to act like we're nice a real try. operation. Why don't, you get, that, why don't you get that hat back up there? Yeah, nice try. Okay. Nice hat. Yeah, nice hat. All right. So you're all signed up. You know, once the two-hour window's over on Saturday, we're staying on the app to finish the Virginia spring game. You're locked in on this. Not like last week. Clawson had that joker set up one hour, 57 minutes. We were in and out of there. It was good. Yeah, Wake Forest ran with the efficiency that you would expect Wake Forest to. I mean, Coach Clawson told us, look, we will be off the air at, at, at six before the hour. So we have time to get to get the interviews done. We have time to get everything done. And sure enough, we were a couple minutes early. Timeout, phantom timeout called right as the, right as the offense was approaching the end zone. Uh, and then you get a last-second touchdown that ended right at, what, what was it, 154 West or 254, yep. whatever it was. Yep. So it was, it was incredibly efficient. Uh, full game this week, I'm not exactly sure how they're going to execute that. <laughs> Virginia is a little low in terms of numbers on the offensive line, but that's for Tony Elliott to figure out now, not for you and I to figure out. Uh, Ronnie, what have we learned from the rest of the game? Like, we had four games. I know you guys were concentrating up in Winston-Salem and, and so forth, and I mentioned to Wes – the one thing that appeared to me is that the quarterback rooms continue to be impressive in this league. I'm not sure you can learn a whole lot from spring football, but there are certain position groups I think that kind of pop. And to me, the quarterback rooms in this league just look like they're going to be loaded. We're going to have a great year in 22, but I think the future is awfully bright as well. Yeah, I agree. You know, especially when you talk about the quarterback rooms, like you said, I'm not sure we learned it in spring practice, maybe confirmed it in spring practice but looking up and down the league we obviously knew the returners coming back and none of them disappointed uh, but you look at the north carolina quarterback situation and i thought both of those guys look really good you look at virginia tech and there's a lot to like about grant wells and jason brown up there uh, so when you when you're when you're going into spring practice you really want to see those things confirmed uh, and I think we absolutely did. We didn't see some guys. You know, you didn't see a Garrett Schrader at Syracuse. Um, but those two guys at Miami the other day, you know, we, we because Jake Garcia got hurt, we kind of forget how talented he is. Uh, but Tyler Van Dyke looked good. Jake Garcia, the ball just explodes out of his hand, and he's a great athlete. So they've got a really good room down there. So I think overall in spring practice, the thing that you do get to see is the depth of the quarterback rooms, not just one guy. You get to see multiples and how good, as you said, Pac, the future is uh, behind the starters in those rooms. But you can feel it bubbling now with Miami. I mean, you can start to sense, here comes, I don't want to call it the hype train, but there's going to be a lot about Miami between now and July when we get to Charlotte for the ACC kickoff. And then ahead of that, that, that final locomotive run in the month of August, 
that you can feel like Miami is the one being pushed. And Pac mentioned it earlier. There's Texas A&M sitting there in week two, Roddy. I mean, you can do whatever you want to do, but you got to go to College Station in week two if you're Mario Cristobal. So I don't know what week one looks like. Doesn't matter what week one looks like. That's a big fish right out of the gate in the second week of the season. Well, it's huge. And going to College Station is, I mean, that's as tough an environment as there is in the entire country. So it's really going to test this football team. But as you said, the hype train's going to get going, and rightfully so on the offensive side of the football. I mean, they are going to be incredibly talented. They get Don Chaney back, who we didn't see for most of last year at the running back position. He and Jalen Knighton are going to be fantastic. They've added to that room, uh, which looks like that's going to be really good. They're super talented at receiver. They've got enough back on the offensive line to make you feel really good about it. And then, obviously, Tyler Van Dyke. The thing that's going to be answered in that week two game, I think, is going to be the physicality of this football team. Mario Cristobal has preached that. You know, they want to run the football. We saw that a ton in the spring game uh, with what Josh Gaddis likes to do. I mean, look at his Michigan team last year, the Michigan offense last year, and the way they ran the football. So will they be able to run the football effectively against really big, stout front sevens? That's going to be the question that's answered. Um, but – and defensively, how are they going to tackle? How physical are they, are they going to be on defense? Because that was something that they improved on towards the end of the year, but really struggled with last year. So overall, I am very excited about Miami. I would have been whether or not the coaching change was made because of who they have coming back, the talent on that roster, but the attitude now. Like Mario Cristobal talks like a Miami head coach. Uh, you would hope he did. And, and that attitude that he's going to bring is uh, that, uh, the attitude of physicality and being a bully. Uh, that's what Miami's really going to try and be. Uh, Roddy, what do you think you're going to see with Virginia? I mean, we, we know about Brendan Armstrong. We know they got offensive weapons, even on the offensive line, maybe a little thin. Defense is going to be the million-dollar question. you got a new guy with Tony Elliott. What, what are your expectations of what you think you're going to see on Saturday in Charlottesville? So I expect to see a lot of talent on the perimeter. I mean, in terms of wide receivers, they have as deep and as good a room as anybody in the country. Dontavian Wicks is back. You've got Billy Kemp back. You get Lavelle Davis back as well. So when you look at that receiver room, I think that receiver room, and then a Keaton Thompson, who was a football player last year, but is full-time receiver now. <laughs> so when you look at that room, you know, this is going to be as good a 10 personnel team, four wide receiver team, as there is in the league, certainly. And then with Brennan Armstrong throwing it, um, you would expect him to put up a lot of points. Under Tony Elliott and the new offensive coordinator, Des Kitchings, they're going to want to run the football. So how do they do that in a spring situation and then going into the fall? And then how do you rebuild the offensive line? They had uh, some really high-impact transfers out on that offensive line. Uh, So how do you rebuild that? Defensively, uh, they really need work everywhere, to be honest with you. They're going to need to rush the passer a little bit better than they did last year. they got to cover better on the back end. They do have guys with experience, though. So how quickly can you get that new system in that John Radzinski wants to run and how quickly can you get them up to speed? He did an excellent job at Air Force. Go check out those Air Force defenses. I mean, his Air Force defense a couple of years ago was like third in the country in scoring, scoring defense. So they were really stingy. They created a lot of, uh, a lot of negative plays, a um, ton of tackles for loss. So how does that translate to this Virginia defense? That's what I'm going to be curious to see on Saturday. And that was in the Mountain West, by the way, where they've been known to score it a little bit. So uh, yeah, yeah. You know, have some optimism about where Virginia is. Roddy, who's the team that has surprised you? Who have you seen progress made from, if anybody, in this spring from where they were a year ago 
Anybody catch your eye at all? I mean, we have such a high level for where we're going to see quarterback play. We think we know the brand names. PFF just came out with a top 25 that had Wake 10. I mean, is there anybody that has surprised you here? Uh, I don't know. Again, like because it's spring and you kind of know what you're going to get, and I try not to put too much stock into the one practice, the televised practice that we get to see. <laughs> I don't know if, if anybody has surprised me. But, but I will say some of the more interesting things that I saw – um, Frank Signetti Jr. going to Pittsburgh and seeing that offense and how it's going to be. I mean, the first couple plays of that game looked like vintage Zay Flowers at Boston College. Hard play action, deep posts over the top, uh, and throwing bombs. So that was interesting to see. I was curious to see how much they were going to change. And then seeing Phil Dracovic back for Boston College, that was another one. But I was really just interested to see how he was doing. Because at the end of last year, he was back in Boston College didn't indicate this was the case but I mean he couldn't hold the football he had his hand in his cat in a cast for six weeks and then gets back out there and as a guy who's had a hand injury that went into the season I can tell you you don't get your grip strength back quickly that happens over the course of you know six months or so that you're able to really grip the football like you did prior so those two were the ones that were interesting and then all the new coaches I, I think seeing uh, the the new coordinators and the new head coaches and what those systems were going to look like at their most base level because we're not getting any sort of complicated schemes but at their most base level what those were going to look like so again I'll go back to Miami the fact that Miami using a couple tight ends even without Will Mallory there using that H back position um, as well you know just see it sort of seeing the personnel groupings that they that they got into in the spring game uh, that was interesting as well because I think this is going to be a physical gap scheme football team just like uh, Josh Gaddis had at, uh, at Michigan. I would add this too. The offensive change. Remember, Kidding Dillingham has moved on at Florida State. Florida yeah. State came out and kind of – Florida State looked the part now. <laughs> Trey Benson, Pittman. I mean, those guys kind of yeah, knew what they Trey were doing. Benson looked looked really like. good. Yeah. So, Pac, there's one. We, we can't lose sight of the Knowles now. They're not out of sight, out of mind in this thing, in the fist fight in the Atlantic that you're – calling for Ronnie, i keep harping on the fact i think america is going to fall asleep with the quality of the atlantic division in the acc I, I think you got three top 15 teams before this thing gets cranked up and i think there's at least the other three that cluster of louisville and bc and florida state are legit and can cause problems and syracuse got work to do uh, but i think the atlantic division is going to be outstanding I do as well, and and if if they do fall asleep, the national media does fall asleep on it, then then maybe we should take their credentials because you're, you're going to have teams that are fighting in that top ten really all season, I think, and I think it'll be a couple of them. Now, uh, Clemson and Wake Forest play early on in the season, so that's going to hurt one of them in terms of that race, but NC State is going to be really good. Clemson's going to be really good. Wake Forest, we saw them. They're going to be really good. You know, Wake Forest starting offense didn't really do anything in the spring game on Saturday. Wes and I didn't really talk about it at all because we know what Wake Forest is going to be on the offensive side of the football. They've got a seventh-year senior offensive lineman, two fifth-year senior offensive linemen, and two fourth-year junior offensive linemen. Like, and then you've got Sam Hartman in the running back room and an 18th pair. They're going to be fine. So, so the Atlantic division is going to be a slugfest. And you mentioned that second group. And I think that second tier – is going to be the place that people are the most surprised if you haven't been paying attention. Louisville, offensively, is going to be as good as, as, as I think they've been under Scott Satterfield. You look at Florida State, which the arrow was pointing up and to the right on Florida State. Constant improvement. 
they really figured that offense out, how to move the ball with Jordan Travis last year. And I think they're only going to expand on that as they get better on offense, get older on defense as well, uh, which is going to be a big one. You mentioned Syracuse. Syracuse defensively last year was really good, and I think they will be again this year. Offensively, can they throw the ball a little bit better? But they've got maybe the best player on that side of the conference in Sean Tucker. Uh, and then you've got Garrett Schrader, a guy who's going to give people a lot of problems. Then you mentioned Boston College. they got to replace a lot on the offensive line, but you get Phil Dracovic back. There's no team in the Atlantic that you look at right now and say, all right, that's an easy win, which is going to make the division really fun. There you go. That's an update. Totally agree. All we could ask for after Roddy Jones' 30th appearance. 30th appearance for Roddy Jones. Boy, you're, right. doing, you're doing mug. Got to find a mug. I, I, I think I think I, I thought ten was the mug or twelve was the mug. I, I feel like I should get like maybe the suit jacket or something at this point. Well, like what's no up elevated jacket. from the mug? The, no, the turbis? No, 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 a yeti? No, no, none of that. No, I, thank you. At this uh, rate, you're going to be lucky to get a sip from yeah, the mug. That's what you. <laughs> yeah, Fair. yeah, yeah. But Fair. I know this. <laughs> hey. The Atlanta Braves are still the defending World Series champions. That I do know. Let's go. Let's go, baby. <laughs> All right, stop. That's it. That We're guy, done. That guy, that guy hurt us last night. Oh, hurt stop us last it. Night, Just stop. First at, first at bat? You couldn't wait, Freddie? Come on, you give all the hugs and then first yeah, the bat, you okay, go, we gotta go. We got to go. I think throwing hey. un- I think throwing underhand to him was not fair. Hey, the that golf coach at Georgia oh, Tech is standing by while you're, you know, going through this whole deal. Oh. So we got to talk to Coach Epler. We'll do that. Good to no, see Coach you. Coach Epler, I said hello. We'll do that right now. In fact, he probably just heard that. We'll come back. Bruce Hepler joins us from Atlanta. His team tries to win a 19th hmm. ACC championship this weekend. Jackets know how to golf their ball, as they say, in the old grill. We'll come back, check in. New venue, though. No more Old North State Club pack. We're going to the golf next on Packer and Durham. Packer and Durham. Packer and Durham on a Tuesday. Yeah. Appreciate Roddy Jones spending some time with us, but now it's time to get back to the links, yeah. Mr. Durham. Uh, Bruce Hepler is the longtime golf coach at Georgia Tech and joins us this morning from Atlanta. His team will be uh, seeking their 19th ACC championship uh, when play begins at the ACC Men's Championship at the Shark's Tooth. That is a strong number, by the way. Panama City, Florida, uh, coming up later uh, this week. Bruce, good morning. How are you? Good morning, guys. Thanks for having me. Shoot. Are you kidding? Uh, congratulations on another great spring. I, I, you and I, full disclosure, my wife used to work with Bruce at Georgia Tech. We've said that before on this show. But there is something about your past. We've had an interesting conversation last month or so regarding name, image, and likeness and things of that nature. Okay? Mark, you may not know this. In 1989, from 1989 to 1991, Bruce Hepler was the assistant men's golf coach at the University of Nevada, Las Vegas. Good place to be. Well, that time it sure was. It was then. Yes, it was. (laughs) So, Bruce, just curious, based on your working knowledge, and he is a huge college basketball fan, right? You've always been a huge college basketball fan, correct? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Would you care, Packer and I one time had a discussion recently about the 90 Final Four in Indianapolis, which featured, uh, or 91 Final Four, which featured Duke, Carolina, Kansas, and Vegas. Would you care to offer Packer maybe a tidbit or two about that particular Vegas 
basketball team and what that might have been like had they had name, image, and likeness? Oh, it would have been crazy. Was that, so that's the year they're coming back to defend, right? They went yeah, in Denver yeah, right. the year before. Yeah, right. yeah. And uh, Stacy and uh, Larry decide to come back, and they name it the big year is here. And uh, <laughs> undefeated, undefeated all the way through to the semis, and yeah. I still contend off the record that they were not going to let them win another one. Somebody, when we say they, uh, using specific pronouns, uh, that was not going to be a repeat. But, uh, no, it was crazy. It was uh, – it was a circus without question. Uh, we would go on the road. Um, actually got to attend every game that year. Part of my duties was also uh, the cheerleader uh, supervisor. So I took the girls on the road uh, to all the games and um, made sure that they did what they were supposed to, of course, uh, as well as putting the towel out. Uh, I was quite a, quite a position at the time. And, um, and uh, we would go on the road and, and uh, there there were two or three hundred people from Vegas that would go to every single game wherever we went. So those guys would have, uh, who were certainly following the rules at the time, would have led the country in name, image, and likeness dollars, I would think, rather easily, yes. Bruce, I actually attended a game at UNLV during Sharks' run, and they had the greatest promotion I've ever seen. At halftime, they gave away a BMW. All you had to do is make a free throw. And it was a, like a $70,000 automobile. The problem is they brought out these showgirls from Vegas to fill the lane. And I contended that if a guy could pick up the basketball and throw it and hit the backboard, he should get the beamer. Get the That's how impressive. So when you say that you were in charge of the cheerleaders taking them on the road, I'm thinking to myself, oh, for crying out loud, maybe we should just stop right there. Because I, I, can't, even, I can't even go any further with that thought. I understand, and, and, and um, neither can my wife at this point. So, yeah. uh, <laughs> but, it, but, but I think, you know, as you said, Pac, you attended a game. I think if you remember how those things started, we would turn out the lights. Oh, yeah, the sharks And we would start the, the strobe lights with the sharks circling right. and playing Jaws. It was awesome. And, um, and this is when you know you've gone off the rails. This is when the, the, the mascot was not the rebel. Sure. It was a shark in a suit. So right. that's when... That's when you know you've got things completely in perspective at the year university, when the, the head coach has his own mascot. Yeah, when the sharks, when the lights went out, I saw the sharks at the top of the Thomas and Mack Center going around and around, and all of a sudden fireworks were exploding from the backboard, and the carpets were coming out, and the dancing girls were not wearing a whole lot. We were flashing, doing their thing. I'm thinking, you can't beat these dudes in this joint tonight. Nope. I got news. Not here. Untouchable. Not nope. Untouchable. We were ahead of our time. Oh. We were ahead of our time. Yes, There's were. no question. Yeah. Kind of like Georgia Tech golf. Yeah, kind of like Georgia Tech golf. Here's the awkward pivot. Um, all right, Bruce, I got to ask you, in terms of this, and we just talked to Kim Llewellyn yesterday about stroke play to match play. Because Wake trailed Florida State going to the back nine of the women's event last weekend at Pauley's Island, rallied with her great team to win. And, and capture the championship. So take me through the mindset of stroke pay to match play. And I know that's what you get at the big show, the big NCAA event, right? So how do you coach that part up after playing stroke play during the regular season, so to speak? Well, I think the first thing you, you better do if you make the final four is not start jumping up and down and dancing around because it's just getting started. Um, you know, I think that the unique thing about this is, uh, you know, if you're in sixth or seventh place after two rounds, uh, the trophy's probably disappeared from view. Um, in this scenario, if you're in sixth or seventh and you have a good last round, you can get to match play and it all starts all over again. So uh, the, the main difference, I think, that I've learned is, uh, you know, stroke play, uh, it may be the 
50th hole before you feel like you've got to make a putt to win the tournament. Uh, but match play, the uniqueness of it is the winning and losing starts on the very first hole. Uh, you're going to have a putt uh, on the first hole to win, lose, or half uh, the hole. And so the intensity gets ratcheted up big time. And so it, it just to get them ready to know that things are going to change. And um, there's nothing like it. It's, it's the Ryder Cup, uh, you know, for us playing on a team and doing that stuff. So the, just the intensity is uh, completely different. Well, you know, we talked about the uh, Sharks here at the Thomas and Mac. Now we're going to the Sharks' tooth to play this ACC mm. tournament. Uh, what do we know about the golf course? Uh, you know, we got fortunate. Uh, it was supposed to be a neutral site, and uh, they lost the greens at their other course down there. So we actually got to play in February. Mm. And uh, we, 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 we had a good trip and uh, feel good about going back. But it's uh, – it's pretty narrow. You've got to drive the ball really well. Um, it's got some length to it, so it's not a, uh, a pitch and a wedge course. And so I think the team that uh, shows up and can, can really ball strike it, it has a, a, a tremendous chance of winning the tournament. But they laid out the carpet for us there in February. It was overseeded wall to wall, so I would expect the conditions to be phenomenal when we get there on, on Wednesday. All right, you've won 10 of the last 15 of these ACC championships. What's the secret at this event for you? Well, you know, it was it was uh, it was helpful when we had the the event at the same place every year, um, because all the stories of winning and great shots and stuff were shared on the way up. And as we played the practice round, talking about Nick Thompson's four iron this year and, and making three two eagles and three birdies on the last hole to beat NC State one year, and so we were able to create a uh, I think an environment of expectations that. Uh, we're just going to play well when we, when we get to this tournament, no matter what the year's been, no matter who we have. There was just a kind of a feeling of, you know, this is our place and we play well here and you could talk your guys into to believing that. And then uh, the real secret weapon is uh, something I picked up in South Africa. We had uh, waffles with ice cream and chocolate syrup every night. So uh, we just try to do whatever we can. Uh, I have found that that has helped uh, performances on television and radio shows as well, Bruce. It's kind of funny how that works. Um, it's amazing. It is amazing. It's truly incredible. Um, I, we had Kim Llewellyn on the show yesterday. And, of course, Wake Forest just won the Women's ACC Golf Championship over the weekend. And I asked her about recruiting, uh, about watching junior golf now. I'm going to ask you the same question. You've had great talent, right? I mean, great players. Uh, you've seen incredible junior golfers develop into great PGA Tour players. David Duvall goes on to be a number one player, et cetera, et cetera. So, with that said, Bruce, when you go and recruit now, um, describe the difference of what junior golf looks like in today's society versus maybe five years ago, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, whatever the case may be. Well, I think the main thing is when uh, you show up and look at the range compared to 15 or 20 years ago, you could kind of walk down there and go, chance, no chance, chance, no chance, no chance, no chance, no chance. Um, and it was pretty easy to identify um, who the best players were uh, without a lot of time. And I think through time with all of the, the new instruction and more kids have access to that, the AJGA was playing um, one event a week in the summer. Now they're playing three, three times a week. So the opportunities to learn and grow, uh, you don't get better without playing in tournaments. So I think what I see is there's still an elite group, uh, 10 or 15 kids who will make a difference uh, the minute they walk in the door, but the 20 to 120, they all look the same, and uh, and so it really becomes just more. Um, can you get lucky with some choices, and then try to do a really good job of developing who you get? But uh, 
that gap has uh, narrowed between the 20th player and the 150th player significantly. Um, and, and I think that what makes it harder in recruiting is really identifying. And you could do the same thing at a collegiate uh, event 20 years ago. You could walk and that team doesn't have a chance. That team has a chance just based on fundamentals uh, that you could see uh, on the range. But that's not the case anymore. Everybody's got guys that can, can play now and swing now. And, and uh, the gaps really certainly got much smaller. You know, Bruce, like, for example, uh, Jordan Spieth won this weekend in RBC. The week before, Scotty Scheffler takes care of business at Augusta. Both of them went to the University of Texas. Uh, do you remember seeing them? I mean, they're in their, what, 25, 29 years old, whatever it is. Do you remember seeing them as junior players thinking, can't miss? That's a PGA Tour player. Or do guys get better, even in this day and age, with all the instruction and the equipment and so forth? Well, I don't want to be liable here uh, in the state of Texas, but uh, I think speed from the, the get-go was obvious. There was just something different about him. Um, it didn't always look great, but, boy, you, you got to the end of the day and you went to the scoreboard and, and, and Jordan was there every day. I can remember, actually, the last time I watched Scotty Scheffler hit a shot. I'd watched him for years. Uh, he took lessons from the same teachers, Paul Haley and Matt Weibring, who played for us out of Royal Oaks in Dallas, and they kept telling me, we can get this guy, and I'm going, no, we can't. He's going to Texas, but I tried for a while. And uh, he kind of struggled, as he mentioned in his interview. He kind of changed uh, the way he looked at some things as freshman in college and, and kind of became a faith-based individual. Uh, he didn't have a great mouth as a junior player, and I can remember the last time I heard him dog cussing on this hole, I thought to myself, he did that in front of his mother, and he's not coming, he's going to Texas. I'm not watching this guy anymore, but... Uh, <laughs> Um, a lot of those kids are good from the get-go, uh, and they're still around. But, again, the, the gap between them and the rest is narrowing, certainly. Just, go, just goes to show you, Pac, it's got to be between the ears as much as it's got to be, you know, from the tee to the green. Right, Bruce? There's no question. That, that really is the difference maker now is those who can, you know, you leave home, and, and maybe dad's been hauling you to practice or mom, and then you get to college, and now it's, you know, we get 20 hours a week, uh, and that's just – and it becomes more and more and more the people who love the game and uh, want to be out there. And it's not because somebody else is because they want to be there. And that really, as they advance, that really becomes a differentiator, I think. Interesting. All right. Uh, always good to see you. Good luck and uh, good luck down there on the Gulf. I know that's, uh, we'll, that's a uh, new venue for you fellas. We'll, we'll take that, but uh, we'll, we'll give it a go. All right. Let me ask you this, by the way. Has Pastor called you for any of your players? By the way, his potential walk-ons. You got a six-eight kid. What in the world is going? On? Be Bartley Forrester six-five. Where where did that come from? What are you doing? Recruiting long and lean. What are we doing? That wedge from the rough's better than that forearm from the fairway. I can promise you. But <laughs> <laughs> is, this is a fact. This is a fact. When we went small with Howard off the floor and Usher playing the five, we actually were taller than what Josh was throwing out there. So. <laughs> That's scary thought. Oh, I love it. I love but it. I've got, I've got something for you guys. Though. Just so you know, I've spoken to Leonard, and I've hired his agent, and I'm going to get me a mug before this thing's all over, I promise you. Well, you're eight away. You're eight away, Bruce. Eight <laughs> away. I understand that. Yeah. But I figured if Leonard retires, if Leonard retires and I have his agent and I work till I'm 90, I got a chance for the mug. That's there we it. Go. All just, right. Hey, just keep winning golf tournaments. That's all we'll you take do. care you of you. You win, got you'll be back right. the following week. We'll see you. Bruce Heffler. Like Thank you guys well. for having me. You, you bet. Appreciate Anytime. it. Legendary golf coach at Georgia Tech. He is that now. Absolutely. Great when coach. we come back, uh, we have a young lady in video sent to us throwing a javelin a long way.
And we will do that next when we continue. Not the pole vault. No, not the pole vault. But we got people throwing javelins. And Pittsburgh has a home run dance. Where's where's your home run dance? Got to have a home run dance. We'll check all that out when we continue. Packer and Durham on a Tuesday. There are the Panthers. Home run hoops. What are we doing? There we go. It's like basket, like the football team. Back after this on ACC Network. Packer and Durham. We got more coverage of the ACC coming up on the NFL Draft. Tonight, 8 o'clock, special edition of The Huddle. An NFL transition piece. Eddie Royal, EJ Manuel involved in this with Jordan Cornette. Coming your way at 8 o'clock Eastern time right here on ACC Network and streaming live on the ESPN app. The the, uh, ACC Men's and Women's Tennis Championships start this week. Wednesday, by the way, is opening day on both the men's and women's side. They'll be at the fabulous Rome Tennis Center in northwest Georgia. Know it well. Uh, Here's the men's bracket. You see Virginia is the top seed. They'll wait and see the winner of Florida State Notre Dame on Friday morning. And championships are Sunday, and that's the men's side. The ladies. we got some good teams in this league. Here are the ladies. They also start. There's uh, two Wednesday matches that parlay into Thursday, BC-Louisville at 3.30. That follows Clemson and Virginia Tech on the ladies' side. The men's side, they have one uh, match on Wednesday, and that's number 12, Clemson, number 13, Boston College. Yep. Strong tennis here in the old ACC. Yeah, of course, Duke with the big Duke with the big upset against North Carolina over the weekend. By the way, while you're out, you know, parlaying, uh, you know, stuff like your Swiss thing for the Wake thing for Switzerland, all that. Drew Brooks would like one of the championships hats if you can find your way in your conversations and to get Drew one of those championship hats. Be good. We could, I mean, you talk about with Kim? the one that, like, no, the cha- no, you can get one from the ACC. We don't need somebody from Wake Forest to give up their hat. I'm sure the ACC has hats that say champs on it. Drew Brooks would like one. Well, oh. producer, esteemed producer of better than 600 shows. Well, we'll try to get one for him. You know, being an Arizona State guy, he probably hasn't seen he one. He hadn't before. seen a champs hat in a long time. Long time. You, you know, a week and a half ago, he was telling me about how far back my Giants were. Yeah, he hadn't even played yeah, a game yet. All yeah. of a sudden, the best team in baseball is right. It's not like the Diamondbacks. Like uh, Jay Vidovich, uh, Carlos Samuano, Maddie Jenner, Kim Llewellyn, Isaiah Holmes. Thank you. We'll see you in the morning at 7 on ACC Network. Thank you for listening to the Packer and Durham Podcast. You can listen to the show live weekdays from 7 to 10 a.m. Eastern on the ACC Network, Sirius XM Channel 371, and streaming on the ESPN app.